Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Murder and Misery, our true crime podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Heather, and I know absolutely nothing about true crime. And my name is Jillian, and I consider myself somewhat of a true crime expert. Yes, Jill is our resident true crime expert. And we created this podcast so that Jill could teach me about all things true crime, both locally and nationally, and to take you guys along for the journey, so that if you too know nothing about true crime, you can learn something. Or maybe hear another perspective about stories you already know. So today's case was requested by a Murder and Misery podcast family member, my cousin Phoenix. Again, this is her second if you remember her from before, it was the H.H. H. Holmes one. That's that, right. That she has personal connection to. So, if you haven't already, go ahead and listen to that one. But we're going to jump right into this one. But before we jump in, actually, I need to let everybody know that this case mentions child sexual assault, um, sexual assault, and animal cruelty. So, listener discretion is advised. Probably another serial killer is what I'm hearing. This one's going to surprise you. Okay. (laughs) I think this is probably, like, my top five favorite cases. Really? Yeah. Well, then how come it was a request? Because I didn't know it existed. (laughs) Oh, did you just learn about it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good job, Phoenix. Right? Um, Thank you for another banger. So, we're going to start this case on June 1st of 1934 in Overland Park, Kansas. That is right by Kansas City. I've... I was going to say that because... I've been there many times. It is an hour. It is an hour north of Kansas City. No, it's not. No, it's not. Overland Park is like literally directly to the no, left of I Kansas lied. City. Take everything I said back. Well, I'm just telling you right now, I know exactly where it is because my grandma bought me the Olive Garden Never Ending Possible VIP card where they, Olive Garden sends you a brown sparkly card and you show it to the people and they give you your food for free. So you can go up to two times per day... And I drove my happy little butt over there like every other day and I ate Never Ending Possible for free. You get soup, um, soup or salad, I guess. Super salad, pasta, and a drink for free. How much did that cost your grandma? I'm not sure. I want to know. <laughs> it was a gift and I had to use it. And the closest Olive Garden was in Overland Park. So I frequented that Olive Garden. To the point where I walked in and they greeted me, hello, Heather, how are you doing today? (laughs) Here's your table with your name on it. (laughs) So, in fact, like, it was just ridiculous, honestly. The people would bring me, like, extra bowls of things. It was, it was utter chaos. You're making friends. That's like me at Mr. D's. I didn't even have to order. They would just bring out my stuff. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. That is amazing. I will be Googling it after this. It's like a, they sell um, a limited quantity you have to, like, get in the queue and, like, click at the exact time in order to be able to purchase one. And so my grandma wanted, and my grandma and I wanted to both get one, but we only had access to one card. And my grandma got it for me because she's an angel. That is so precious. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I definitely gained 40 pounds, but you live and you learn. And now I just... And I ate for free in college, so... Hey, that's honestly. How, I think it was like a, a month or two months or something like that. Is how long it lasted? Oh, I don't know. I thought it was gonna be like an all-year thing. No, it's oh. just during the never-ending possible time. Oh, see, which I is don't only need a couple it. months. I don't need it. Olive Garden. So you know, I used to eat there a lot. <laughs> Did you Olive Garden? <laughs> and out now after I'm that? a little bit tired of it. But I do still love their soup. I don't think I will ever get tired of their soup. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of tired of the pasta. I'm not gonna lie. 
That's interesting. I eat there a couple times a year now. Well, I got Overland Park, Kansas mixed up <laughs> with so another Overland, place. Yes. Overland Park, Kansas. This is going to be a good story for me because I know all about that area. Well, so... Th- this is where I went to undergrad, by the way. Yes. I think I made that clear, but just in case I didn't. Kansas City is where I went to undergrad. Kansas City, Missouri. Correct. So it takes place and starts in Overland Park, Kansas. And this was uh, where Ken Rex McElroy was born to his parents, Tony and Mabel McElroy. Ken and his family moved around a little bit between Kansas and the Ozarks, which is in Missouri, before they settled down in Skidmore, Missouri, which was what I got confused with. And I thought you might might be familiar with it because it's like about an hour and a half north of Kansas City. I don't think I've ever heard of Skidmore. It's a very tiny town. Yeah, but it's like directly north by like Iowa. Ken was from a large poor family of sharecroppers. He was actually the 15th child out of 16 kids. Oh my gosh. Which, fun fact, is enough for a whole rugby team. That is a lot of children. Right. And to clarify, I don't know anything about rugby, but I thought it would be enough for a football team. But when I Googled, that was wrong because I honestly don't know anything about football either. But, like, it's a lot of kids. How many people do you need for a football team? I think it was, like, 25 or something. okay. But, like, it seemed like it would be enough. But anyway, that's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. Uh, That poor mom. Anyway, so Ken dropped out of school in the eighth grade at the age of 15. It was said that he couldn't read. And kept getting, like, held back from... But from my understanding and from hearing stories of my grandparents, back then it was pretty common among farm and lower class families for their kids to drop out before finishing as they needed the sons to help on the farm or get jobs. I Uh, think that was pretty common. Yeah, which may or may not have been the uh, original intentions of Ken. I'm not sure. But at some point, he was hunting raccoons and... After this, he quickly became known for some not-so-great things. Apparently, in school, he was a bully and not very nice to people. And, you know, once he was out of school, still was a bully. uh, And took up a life of crime. The first one being a cattle and hog rustler. Which, to me, sounds like when they, like, wrangle bulls. Yeah. And pigs. But apparently, it's someone that steals people's cows and pigs. No, sir. Yeah. I would be heartbroken if somebody came and stole my chickens. Right? But that's, I'm sure he stole chickens, honestly. But that's not all. Nobody cares about chickens except for me. <laughs> no, I think your chickens are cute. <laughs> I love them. So he was thought to have stolen many things like antiques, which, you know, back then I just want to know what their antiques were because to me now the 30s is antiques. Oh, 100%. I just want to know what the antiques were in the 30s. But he also stole things like gas, grain, and booze and committed arson. And on top of that, he assaulted people both physically and sexually, but was never convicted. He was indicted 21 times. Why, you may wonder. He sounds like a bad egg. Well, he was a bully and a bad egg. And he bullied any of the witnesses in his cases. And so they would refuse to testify. And this was because Ken would literally scare them and intimidate them. And he was like a big dude. And he always had a gun. And apparently he wasn't afraid to threaten people with his gun. And he would just, like, sit outside their houses and, like, I would be frightened of him as well. Yeah. But that's why he got away with so many things. Because anytime he he got indicted 21 times at this point. And he never got convicted. Never convicted. Um, That is bizarre. I feel like we need some kind of system above local law that just takes over at this point. Right. Well, he was obviously just disliked by most 
of the locals, except for, of course, his attorney, who was defending him multiple times a year at this point. I'm sure his attorney did not like him either. No, his attorney said he was the best client he ever had um, because, quote, he was punctual, always said he didn't do it, paid in cash, and kept coming back. I was going to say, he's probably the best client because he gives him a lot of business. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess if people are not punctual and you really like that. And you get amazing cash. (sighs) I don't know. He was also known to get around, which, like, you do you. But not in this case. Ken had at least 10 kids from various women and met his last wife in 1969 when she was 12 years old. Now, I do want to make sure my math is mathing because we all know I am not good at that. But from my calculations, Ken was born in 1934, and Trina McLeod, his last wife, was born in 1957, giving them a 23-year age difference, making Ken 35 when she was 12 years old. That is absolutely disgusting. You want to know how they met? No. Yes. I guess I have to. You you have to for the audience. Okay. It doesn't get better. It makes me want to throw up. Um, Anyway, Ken was dating Trina's mom. What? Mm -hmm. I'm upset. And this is where listener discretion is advised. Ken sexually assaulted Trina and so he wanted to marry Trina to escape statutory rape charges. Her parents obviously were like, uh, no, but... Then he threatened them with a gun? He shot their dog and burned down their house. I just hate this man. Mm -hmm. I do not say that often, but I just hate him. Yeah, well... Obviously, they changed their mind after that. And when Trina... Burned down their house? Burned their house down. Jeez. He's excessive. When Trina was 14... Listen, killing my dog would be plenty. Oh, yeah. I would be wrecked if you killed my dog. You don't have to burn down my house. I just... And I don't know if it was, like, a complete loss or what really happened, but, like, arson is arson. But when Trina was 14, she became pregnant and dropped out of school to live with Ken and Alice, who was Ken's second wife, and they were still legally married, but Ken divorced her to marry Trina because of the charges against him, which marital rape is a real thing, but I guess the law didn't see it that way um, back then, which... I don't think it was a thing back then. Marital rape? Yeah. Yeah, which I don't think it was either, and obviously if he was marrying her to escape it, yeah. But mere weeks after Trina gave birth, her and Alice ran away to Trina's mother's house to escape from Ken. But Ken found them and brought them back only to return later to her parents' house, shoot their dog again, and burn their house down again. I just can't. I'm sorry. I should not be laughing. I'm laughing because I'm nervous. I, <laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm in disbelief. Well... And I will say this. I'm utterly shocked. Like, what does this even mean? The second situation was only mentioned in about half the articles. Oh. So I'm not sure from my understanding it happened twice, but not every article mentioned it. So, um, yes, but in... One time is enough, but still. (laughs) None times is enough. Just don't do it in the first place. Honestly, true. One time is more than enough. Right, and uh, and in their relationship, obviously, Ken was a very abusive, disgusting human with domestic violence issues um, on top of being a pedophile. He just has all kinds of issues. He's just a really disgusting person. He's but, very complex. Mm-hmm. 
1976, a farmer named Romaine Henry told police that he told Ken to get off his property, resulting in Ken shooting him twice in the stomach. Ken was arrested and charged with assault with intent to kill, but in Ken fashion, he sat outside Romaine's property to scare him into dropping- Were there no police? Like, the police were scared of him. I just- Okay. So he sat outside his property to scare him, but when that didn't work and scaring him into dropping the charges, miraculously, two raccoon hunters came forward saying that they were with Ken that day and his case was dropped because he had an alibi. Local law enforcement was afraid of Ken, along with any witnesses or jurors. He even was said to put rattlesnakes in people's mailboxes to scare them. I just can't. Again, I'm so sorry for laughing. I just, like, don't know what to say. When this is... This is bizarre. When he would walk into the local bar, everyone in the bar would leave. I I would leave. I just... You know what I mean? Right. Well, all these people were scared to be in their hometown. And these were generational farmers that have... Their families had been there for hundreds of years. Yeah. And they're scared to be in their own home, in their own hometown, because of a freaking bully disgusting person so uh this brings us to april 25th of 1980 when evelyn summy who was the clerk at a local general store asked tanya who was ken's eight-year-old daughter to return a jawbreaker she stole ken found out about this and was peeved he started stalking the bowen camp family who owned the general store he did this for months until july 8th when when Ken drove into an alley behind the store and him and Ernest Bow Bowencamp got into an altercation. Ernest was a 70-year-old man who was the town's grocer and owned the store. When this escalated, Ken pulled out his shotgun and shot Ernest in the neck at close range. Luckily, this did not kill him, but it almost did, injuring Ernest. Thankfully, Ken was actually arrested with... which with his track record, this is a little bit of a shocker, but he was charged with attempted murder and preliminaries were set for August 18th of 1980. Of course, like previously, Ken tried to harass and scare Ernest's family with his wife saying, quote, you can't know how intimidating it was after that. Before his trial, he drove up to our house in his pickup at night and just sat there. Sometimes he would fire his gun. It was frightening, end quote. Can I ask another question? Mm-hmm. I could just be, like, completely wrong, but don't people normally, like, sit in jail when they're awaiting their trial unless they get to post bail? Uh, Yes, but I think he was, like, posting bail. How? Or possibly he had no bail. I don't know. I mean, if he's been in trouble this many times, like, I just feel like the judge could be, like, $100,000. That was, like, a ton of money. I feel like he just scared them all. And, I know, like, but if you tell if the judge says your bail's five hundred thousand dollars, what's he gonna do? Nothing. There's no way he's a millionaire. What a snake in their mailbox. He's in jail. I know. <laughs> I don't really know, and I mean, he never got convicted, so I don't really know. I know, but literally everybody in the town is utterly terrified of him. Right, which is possible. I mean, I'm sure he like sat in jail a little bit. I'm not sure, but I'm just confused how he is harassing all of these people. I don't know. Then because again, in this my was, mind, he would be in jail waiting his trial. You would think. Yeah. But his trial kept getting delayed, which okay. lasted about five months. And ironically, 
during the delays, the prosecuting attorney resigned, probably from harassment, and David Bayard took over. He was a young man, nearly a few years out of law school, and on June 25th in 1981, Ken McElroy was convicted for the first time. Heck yeah. Unfortunately, he wasn't convicted of attempted murder, but of second-degree assault. I'll take it. David, the prosecutor, said he changed it from attempt to kill knowing to knowingly caused serious physical injury because he thought it would be easier to convict. Which, like, I mean, yeah. Even though he shot an old man in the neck. Listen, I don't think he should have shot the old man in the neck, but at this point, we gotta get him on something. You know <laughs> he what I mean? opened someone else's mail. Jail. <laughs> Honestly, though, like, it doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> he opened it while he was putting a rattlesnake in our mailbox. <laughs> we just have to get him to jail. Yeah, so, um, this sentencing had a maximum of two years, but he was freed on a $40,000 bond pending his appeal. Let's keep in mind... He, like, stole a lot of stuff, and I think he just had, like, wads of cash. That makes sense. Um, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, but at the trial, it was reported that Ken said, quote, The jury convicted me, and they gave me two years, but I'll tell you what, I'll never go to jail, I'll appeal, and I'll get off. I've been fighting the law since I was 13, and I'm damn near, sorry, mom, damn near 50. I've been arrested for over 53 felonies, and this is the first one I ever lost. Are you joking me? Mm. In in true Ken fashion, after he was out on bond, he was at the D&G Tavern with a rifle and a bayonet talking about how he wanted to murder Ernest. Obviously, this violated his bail and he was arrested and released again because he's proven time and time again that he's not a threat to society at all, even though he shoots people and tries to kill them. But his trial was postponed as a result of him messing with his, messing up his bail or whatever. And it was scheduled for July 20th of 1981. Ken learned the three witnesses that were going to testify about like him breaking his bond Mm -hmm. or his bail Mm -hmm. arrangements. And around 50 locals swore to protect the three. But when the hearing got pushed back more, they knew they had to do something. Knowing Ken wasn't going to face true consequences, the town had a meeting about Ken on July 10th of that year. Like, imagine your town having a whole meeting with 60 plus people, including the mayor and the sheriff, because you're I'm a horrible person. I'm shocked that didn't happen before. Yeah. Like, I think that there's a, there's a thing where you can be, like, kicked out of towns. And if everybody hates him and everybody's so scared, right. I'm surprised they didn't do this earlier. Yeah, well, they... He's probably shot half of the citizens of this town. At least shot at them. Or yeah. put rattlesnakes in their mailbox. But they were trying to think of legal ways to stop him from hurting people. And some ideas that were thrown around, one being from the sheriff suggesting a form of neighborhood watch, which didn't appeal to many people. I was going to say, everybody's scared of it. Nobody's going to do anything. Right. And especially coming from the law enforcement who literally failed his entire town. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. Um, soon after this, someone spotted Ken and Trina going to the bar and the meeting quickly ended and moved from the hall to surrounding the bar. People patiently waited for Ken to finish his drinks. And when him and Trina got back in the truck, Ken went to light a cigarette. And that's when Trina said she saw someone raise up from the back of the truck and shoot Ken. The bullets momentum caused his foot to stomp the gas pedal pushing the engine into high-pitched whine, 
This was when a local pulled Trina out of the passenger seat and she was escorted to the bank by a man named Jack Clement while Ken was in the truck with two bullet wounds from two different guns. Ken was dead and no one even bothered to call an ambulance. (laughs) And when police got there, no one saw anything. Um, Trina was the only one to come forward during the investigation, though it was speculated there were 60 plus witnesses and this happened in broad daylight. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm shook that that did not happen earlier. I was going to say something like that before, but I felt like a bad person for being like, why haven't they taken care of this? But I feel like, I mean, I guess this was later in the 1900s, but. I think this was like a 40 or 50s. He was born in 1939 or something like that. He was 50 years old. Oh, no, this was the 80s. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So. By the 1980s, I would expect less for people to take it in their own hands, I guess. But back when he was, like, a kid, I'm shocked that nobody, like... Put him in his place? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was very common back then. Right. Yeah. I I mean, even if... I mean, police, like they are today, haven't always been a thing anyway. And, like, most people handled things by themselves like if two people had a disagreement they would just like fight it out Mm -hmm. you know so the fact that nobody ever was like yo you're terrorizing our whole town i don't care if the police come after me like you need to stop right which like who's to say that people didn't try that yeah but like i'm surprised nobody killed them earlier yeah honestly (laughs) i'm just surprised i'm not saying that they should have i'm just surprised that they didn't i mean he's a pedophile murderer he is a pedophile i forgot about that part i was just thinking about him being a bully uh, Trina said that it was Del Clement, Clement, who I believe was the owner of the bar, who shot Ken, but no charges were filed. The FBI got involved with no luck because no one said anything. These people are literally trained to get people like terrorists and mobsters to speak. And no they one... just had been dealing with a terrorist, you know what I mean? Right. Well, no one in this tiny town would say anything. And I think that speaks volumes. Yes. Um, Trina went into hiding after this having remarried, and had a few more kids before passing away in 2012 at 55 from cancer, which is sad because she most definitely is a victim in all of this mm-hmm. um, in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. The daughter of Ernest Bowen Camp, Cheryl Hudson, um, witnessed the shooting from her family store and said, quote, Once the shroud of silence fell, there was going to be no one talking. They could have pushed and dug and pushed and dug and gotten nothing, We were so bitter and angry at the law letting us down that it came to somebody taking matters into their own hand. No one has any idea what a nightmare we lived, end quote. Del Clement, believed to be one of the shooters, died in 2009, never confessing nor being convicted. Author Harry McLean moved to Skidmore and stayed for three years while gathering details for what would become his 1988 best-selling book, In Broad Daylight. He won an Edgar Award for Best True Crime Writing in 1989, and the book was made into a successful 1991 TV movie. I mean, there's been, I don't know, I think there's other, like, movies and documentaries on it, but yeah, so to this day, there's been no charges, no one says anything. Could you imagine the uproar that the town would have if the guy who shot... It was more than one person. I know, but, like... His wife only reported one person, right? Mm -hmm. So if that person that she reported got charged and, like, sent to jail, 
after this Ken guy had, like, literally terrorized everybody in the entire town and shot and tried to kill yeah. multiple people. I have a feeling... The town would be... That would be insane. I, they would burn down their own town. Well, I, I... And the town really has gone downhill since then, but I truly believe that if they would have found any evidence to convict these people, they would have probably had, like, ten alibis by the end of the night for these people. Yeah, probably. You know? Just in true confession. He didn't shoot anybody. He was raccoon hunting... You know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that was the never solved case of Ken McElroy and the town of Skidmore, Missouri that got away with murder. That's insane. Not that, sad that... he's dead. Oh my god. <laughs> I just hate when you say that. But, but okay. like, listen, he was like... I know, I just hate when you say that. Which is crazy because he didn't actually murder anyone, but like... That we know of. True. He He's definitely a, tried to murder several people. Right. Yeah. And he killed a dog twice. Yeah. That's murder. <laughs> True. True. So, I mean, just saying. Um, I feel like that was this entire storm story. It just embodies karma. And don't mess with small town Missouri people because we're a little unhinged. We are. And I feel like they they lasted a long, a yes. lot longer of dealing with this guy's BS because I... I mean, cannot imagine, but. That was a very interesting story. I know. I, I'm, I'm gonna, very glad you told me that. I'm going to have to watch the movie. I feel bad for laughing, but, like, honestly, some of it was just, like, absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I do obviously feel bad for all the victims that are involved. And obviously his wife, mm-hmm. ugh, you know. But yeah. Right. So, um, thank you for requesting that. Another bop, uh, request from Phoenix. Do you have anything else to say? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not going to say that he deserved it, but, like, he really did torture those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, I feel like it goes beyond. Everybody's like, oh, he was a town bully. I feel like it goes, like, a little bit beyond a bully. Like, maybe in, high, uh, like, middle school he was a bully. Yeah. But, like, once you're literally a grown man and you're assaulting people, uh, even past and the pedophilia. wives? That's bizarre. Yeah. Disgusting. He was crazy. Mm-hmm. But he's dead, so... That's wild. I'm like shaking my head because I just do not know what to say. That was crazy. But if you haven't already, please follow our social media accounts on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. We post on Instagram and Facebook. We try once a week. Sometimes I'm a little bit slower than that, but they always get up there eventually. And if you want to listen to another episode of our podcast, you can find us back here next Thursday. All right. Bye. Bye.